Welcome to Outside the Box with Ascendia USA, a podcast educating U.S.-based e-tailers on international shipping topics and how they can expand their global e-commerce footprint. Hey guys, this is Nick Agnetti here with Ascendia USA from the Outside the Box podcast. Uh, upcoming is part due of our Canada A podcast. John, you have anything to add? No, nice Frank. Thank you very much. Yes, so stay tuned and thank you so much for listening. Dave, going back to how you guys handle the multi-SKUs per package and, and some of the challenges associated with that, because anybody, especially in the subscription space that's listening, would know that that is a challenge for, for many folks. How do you guys handle that? It's an art meets science conversation when you're talking about multiple items within a kit that have a blended or total value. When you have one item, one consignee on one day, and that... Um, shipment contains multiple items. It could be something that's regulated, combined with something that's a commodity, combined with something that has extremely low value. We do have to look at shipments daily and make educated, documented decisions based on sometimes literally doing Google searches and applying an acceptable customs value to items that are in kits, things that are uh, a two for one or buy one, get one free or ship for 12 months, get the 13 month free. So there's, there's a lot of complications to it, but we're very diligent. We database every item, every order, and we're constantly revising uh, values and ensuring that customs accepts uh, our methodology. With that being said, anytime something crosses the border, the declared value is what the consignee paid for e-commerce orders. E-commerce orders originating in the US that are sold going to recipients in Canada. There is no gray area on value. Value is what the consumer paid. Now, if it's a commercial ship, it's going B to B to C. It's it's a wholesale. It's a inventory transfer to a Canadian distribution point. Value becomes much more subjective. You quite literally need to get auditors and KPMG involved for uh, intercompany valuations. There's tax and there's duty implications. There's, so there's a lot involved on the commercial side. But speaking to the to the express courier and or uh, casual importation stream, what we're talking about. So the subscription box companies are usually value-based, meaning they give you $100 worth of goods for 20. And, uh, you know, distilling down, sorting, and applying proper values to the items, which is needed, is a challenge, but that's what we do. That's what we're paid to do. And I've been doing this for 23, 24 years. I am the messenger of all this expertise that all of my team members have. So these are all subject matter experts, and I'm just a consolidator of those experts in a way that hopefully is efficient for, for the company to, to bring on. 100%. Business. No, and, and that's, a, that's a good point. So what else are you seeing going into 2024? I know you're always looking to improve the customer experience. Is there anything else that you're seeing other than things like that? You've demonstrated just working with you and helping the customer that you are forward thinking. Is there anything else that you see on the horizon that can benefit and make the customer experience better? I'll tell you all the evolutions that I believe in the last two years and in the next two years, we're going to be driving, if not ourselves, industry-wide. Right. Um, anything being measured in business days is, I think, a tragedy. We can order 24-7. We can receive. We should be able to receive 24-7. We should be measuring our service and calendar days. Our network moves seven days a week. Our warehouses are open up to 24 hours. There is no reason why every carrier provider and every uh, merchant shouldn't be able to commit seven day delivery. We do have a restriction and limitation with Canada Post. I wish that was a, a, a ship I could turn around in terms of the direction on that, that will be, will not be able to right now, our delivery mix with Canada Post, depending on your weight profile and where you're going is anywhere between 10 and uh, 20% of the overall distribution. So outside of that, our other carrier partners 
we either give it to them where they can best perform or we do it ourselves. We are going to have three solid levels of service and even our slowest slash most price efficient ground service is gonna be smoking fast relative to where it's starting and, and where it's uh, going to. But really engineering both a very cost-effective expedited solution, which we are doing now, and even engineering a, uh, an express service to compete with true airport to airport uh, fundamental deliveries on uh, through integrated courier network. The evolution um, out of the Northeast that we've done most recently, again, this is Canada specific. This couldn't happen in the States, but our delivery profile unbelievably is somewhere between 20 and 28% into what we would call Southern Ontario or Greater Toronto, depending on how you, how you carve up the map. We are able to get next day service out of many major cities in the Northeast and upper Midwest. And I'm not gonna tell you exactly how we do it. I, I'm sure some of you know, but the bottom line is we are gonna compete with anywhere between 20 and 28% of the total deliveries in Canada on a next day basis out of major centers in the upper Midwest and Northeast. And this is something that has really pushed a lot of our competitors to, to rethink how they're doing things. And I think it's an important feature of our service that is a differentiator between us and our, and our competitors. We do, again, as I said previously, run our own team-driven, fully dedicated, owned, operated middle mile network. So whatever that, wherever that parcel is going, we're going to drive it down as far as we can toward the final mile recipient and give it to our partner for anywhere between 10 to 30 kilometers of range. For the shipper that's listening, for the logistics person listening, for whoever's listening, here's a couple of really interesting statistics about Canada when it comes to the buying group within the country, right? So 29 million digital buyers within the country of Canada. Uh, millennials are the top generation for online purchasing within the country. That's the 11th largest e-commerce market in the world. In terms of your expansion from a just a U.S.-based online retailer to including Canada in that mix, English is the number one, is the primary language within Canada, French being the second largest language in Canada. They're very affluent in terms of, you know, level of education with high levels of discretionary income. They're familiar with U.S. brands and desire U.S.-based goods. It is what it is. Statistics, right? Largest brand or largest online store in Canada, of course, is Amazon. So in terms of why should you expand to Canada or maybe even more, why why should we put additional resources into marketing and advertising to grow our Canadian business? There's plenty more. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of fuel to go back to your team. Why not take the time to invest in growing revenues into a market outside of the domestic U.S., which may be saturated for your particular brand of product, and then just kind of go from there? Fast. Those stats are impressive. Yeah. You know what? That's very Google, good. Google, notebook, you never know what you can do. So, you know, I, can I, is there last one? Is it true? Is it 85% of the population live within 100 miles of the U.S.? Good. Or Johnny said that at the beginning of the podcast. Know, that's, that's, he I, said that. I, that's I the number, right? I, I, usually say, I usually say 80. Ah, uh, 80. Um, okay, it's 80. 80. But that's plus or minus a few percentage points. That is true. And again, because the border is so long, that's either easy to get to or difficult to get to. I mean, Halifax is probably within 80 miles of the border, but Halifax is the Atlantic province uh, or out in the Atlantic, and it is uh, not close uh, for geographically or, eight, or easy to serve. Same thing with some of the some of the, uh, those prairie cities that we talked about. I mean, our trucks literally run daily through Idaho and Montana. I don't, it's pretty wild to be up north of Montana. I mean, we have to avoid gear and elk on the way up, we get into this uh, very, very strong market of Alberta. You have Calgary, you have Edmonton, and you have surrounding cities. You have the Canadian Rockies between Alberta and BC. 
which is can be treacherous. Um, and then BC, Lower Mainland BC, especially is another great center. And these are all north of the U.S. border. I mean, one of the couple a couple stats are and a couple opinions. One, if anybody is wondering, you know, should they enter the market of Canada? I would ask, well, do you want another California? And I would hope the answer is yes, because California and Canada are roughly the same size in terms of population. Geographically, clearly, it's much bigger and more uh, sparsely populated. But that is an important uh, distinction. You, you don't need to set up another warehouse. You don't have to set up systems. You don't have to set up technology. You don't have to set up a Canadian business on the ground with all the compliance things that one may or may not engage in the future to start to do business in Canada. You need to be able to accept payment. You need to be able to collect duty and tax. And by the way, uh, something that's really changed in the last four years is the duty threshold for Canadian imports for casual consignees used to be $20 Canadian. Now it's one fifty. So you can ship individual items, individual orders to Canada from the U.S. or Mexico, duty-free up to one fifty Canadian. That is uh, that is nice. I mean, uh, textiles are 18, have an 18% duty. Shoes and a, a lot in that whole fashion sector. Those are very dutiable. Up to one fifty. that's a nice, uh, nice feature. There is no duty. And tax is very easy to calculate. Somewhere between five and thirteen percent, depending on uh, which province we're talking about being shipped to. For you listening, or for any potential customers or conversations of knowing that, hey, if you have any questions, we've got a whole team of people behind us to help when it comes to exploring the Canadian market. And so, I'd go back to my original question: is if you're not shipping to Canada today, but you have a company-wide goal of, of growing revenues, of expanding outside of just your domestic profile, why not? There seemed to be like a misconception: you need a you need something in Canada. But you said there were benefits not to do that, right? So it really depends on somewhere between 8 and 12 answers to really important questions. Right. For example, what's your order velocity? How many orders are you shipping a day? Where are they shipping from the States? What are the order value? What are the commodities? Where are they made, right? So what HTS code drives what duty or not? And what are the value of the goods when you cross the border, bring them in at what duty are they applied? Sorry, what value would, would drive duty? So if you bring product into Canada and you clear it on a cost of goods basis or wholesale basis or intercompany basis, you're going to pay less duty as the value is lower. With that being said, fuel, right. labor, warehousing, everything's more expensive, especially in Toronto. And Toronto is a top five city in North America in terms of size of population. It's also very expensive. Vancouver, one of the most expensive cities in the world. Alberta is not cheap. If you're going to go in Canada with infrastructure, you want volume. You want a very deep, not only logistics review, but financial review. And what you can always do is go into Canada at a future point in time based on understanding the market better. To start shipping from the States to Canada, is usually 90% of the companies do that. And again, a lot of this is product driven. If you have 63,000 SKUs, you want to set up a warehouse in Toronto when you have one in Ohio? Uh, maybe. Depends on how many orders you're shipping a day. Are you going omnichannel? Is there retail? Is there direct-to-consumer? Is there direct-to-consumer through other platforms like Amazon or other uh, aggregators? So there's just a lot of questions that you have to ask before. But, I mean, we see some of the warehouses that some of our big customers have. And these warehouses in the U.S. are highly automated, highly automated, highly efficient, high-volume output. Replicating that in Canada, we're talking about somewhere between two and ten million just to ship parcel one. So again, it's it's a it's a uh, it's a difficult answer. But what I do what I do know is 
You don't have to make dramatic changes to your supply chain to have your business grow and evolve. If you achieve certain revenue thresholds in certain regions around the world, Asia, Pacific, Europe, South, South America, Latin America, you're going to go on the ground in that region. You don't always have to go on the ground in Canada because you, the U.S. is so close to Canada. So that's a kind of a, a feature Excellent. that very, very, very much favors uh, continuing to uh, ship from the states cross border. Yeah, we have warehouses, retail locations, and hybrid facilities all over Canada. We're going to be opening more every quarter. We have the ability to do pick, pack, ship, fully automated. We have the ability to do to liaise with other government departments if products need registration. Right. And we have a variety of resources to do an intra-Canada domestic solution. I'm sorry. I've never, I've never been so harassed to get out of a hotel room. <laughs> I go, I have a meeting down the street. It's a 10 minute walk. And housekeeping and then the front desk are calling me. It's not even noon yet. Dave, last thing. So you did mention pick, pack and chip. I mean, obviously you can do some sort of fulfillment, right? Our staff, that staff that I keep referring to, yeah. has experience in every product and service that we're talking about. Trade services, compliance, technology, pick pack, fulfillment, the whole bit. Well, I think that's it, Dave. Do you have anything else to add before we close it out? Really appreciate you taking that time with me. I know you're busy, so thank you very much. Dave, we just want to get you out of there before 12, okay? Yeah, before checkout. Yeah. They're going to send security in and like wrestle me pretty soon. Maybe once a year we should do this and I can give you a, um, network updates and fun stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, 100%. We might even do it every six months. <laughs> Content driven. All right, guys. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks, Dave. Have fun. Have fun. I'm telling you, Dave's, Dave's the man. He knows what's up when it comes to Canada. So, yeah, it was really good to have him on there. So, no, I thought this was great. A lot of content here. Any questions, concerns, emotional outbursts, just, you know, message the, uh, message the podcast information. Join us next month for a discussion on the cost of international shipping. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. If you want to support our podcast, the number one thing you can do is share it on your social media and tag Ascendia. That helps us get the word out, and we really appreciate it. Be sure to subscribe and download our podcast. If you want to learn more about today's topic, email us at ecommerce.usa at ascendia.com and check back frequently for new discussions on e-commerce shipping to Canada and worldwide.